John Steele here. <laughs> and it's good to have a, a, a very special program today that we haven't really done before. Uh, we talk only about personal injury and how, how, uh, how important it is for chiropractors. That's really our, our key, our key uh, uh, task in life. That's what we do. We get phone calls from you on a regular basis. We get emails, Sean Steele at seansteele.com. We're full service for chiropractors. Most of our questions we get are not from chiropractors that, that, that we work with, but it's for chiropractors that are starting their practice or want to learn something new. We're going to dive into an area called traumatic brain injuries, mild traumatic brain injuries. Something that a lot of chiropractors see all the time, and let me tell you, it's been the most misdiagnosed problem uh, for traffic accidents for, for ever since we've had automobiles. Uh, we never understood it in prior conflicts and wars for the last 10,000 years the humans have been hitting each other on the head. Uh, we, World War II, we just called it, uh, you know, stress disorder or called it, uh, you know, just a nightmare. Shell shock. Shell shock was a good word for that. So we know a lot about it and how real it is. We're still probably a good 20, 30 years before we have a better understanding of the biomechanics of brain damage and what specifically, what kind of forces can, can, can hurt the brain and where in the body, but we have a lot of information on it. We've asked somebody that's highly trained to join us today, somebody that really is a, uh, has, has studied this field, has excelled in it. We've worked with her on several cases. We've had some great success, Dr. Dr. Barry. Uh, doctor, uh, we're, we only have 30 minutes. We're gonna start exactly on time. We end on time. Uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, any of our viewers, if you have any questions, please contact me, Sean Steele at seansteele.com. Uh, Alex is going to handle the majority of this interview. But uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, what you've done in, let's say, in our world, motor vehicle accidents or trauma accidents. Hi. Well, thanks for having me today. I'm excited to, to join you in this webinar. Um, so I'm a, I'm a psychologist with a specialty in neuropsychology. So I am I'm a, trained as a psychologist. I do psychotherapy with patients and all of that, but I also have special training in assessment of cognitive function. So, um, I mean, that takes, that that's a big umbrella term. Uh, it really means how someone's thinking skills are functioning at any given time and thinking skills, not, not just the emotions, but like things like memory and attention and um, word finding abilities. And so I have special training in assessing a person's functioning on that level as well. So that's, so I'm a neuropsychologist. That's, that's the title. And uh, that's my focus. No, that's, that's, that's terribly important to us because Many of the patients that we've seen in the past don't even know they have a mild traumatic brain injury. Uh, sometimes their family members notice that and they know there's something, you know, ever since Fred hit himself on a, with that motorcycle accident and his helmet broke, he hasn't been the same. He's forgetful, he's depressed, he's angry at the kids, he never used to be angry at the kids. So those are signs and symptoms that used to be pretty much dismissed. And they, nowadays, juries take those very seriously. They, they want more information about it because we've learned a lot from Iraq and Afghanistan and the wars and how soldiers have come back broken very badly. So now we need tools, not merely to diagnosis, but to diagnose the extent of how serious it is. 
Uh, and that's pretty much uh, of a guessing game. Uh, you have to have people highly qualified that are credible in court, that have good academic backgrounds. There's too many psychologists who I found that think they're neuropsychologists. They, they want to build like they're a neuropsychologist. They want to pretend they're a neuropsychologist. They're just not competent to do it. Uh, it, it and too much of it is uh, with, with jargon and not with deep study. Uh, and there's maybe 20 that I think are really qualified in California to be a real neuropsychologist with a proper academic background and that can actually do a, a good assessment. The job so much is twofold. One is to, uh, tr is to diagnose, that's very difficult, and the other is to treat, also a challenge. I'm much more interested in the diagnosing, not the treatment today because we only have just a few minutes to do to, 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 to work with that. So explain, we start off with every patient that has a head trauma and airbags are hundred percent head trauma, always, mm -hmm. a, always a head trauma. When you got a 200 mile an hour object flying in the patient's face at, in a microsecond with a distance of six to 10 inches, you're going to have a concussion. Right. No question about it. No exceptions. The question is, Let's measure it to see how serious it is. So we start off with a, the universal concussion concussion questionnaire. And we have those on our website, seansteel.com, for example. They're widely available. So I'm going to ask Alex to go down this road. Let's just make it easy. Not 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 a sophisticated, you know, he hit his head, he hit the, the headrest and he got a headache. And I want something more frank, more obvious. Uh, Sometimes we overdo it. We think that everything's a head concussion. We think everything is, is uh, the patient's going to be uh, uh, in deep trouble for the rest of his life. And I want to go to real feel. I don't want to exaggerate. I want to take something that's real and genuine, preferably a direct blow on the head uh, with some mechanism, not indirect. Indirect, it's awfully speculative and it's uh, widely debated. Uh, and, and oftentimes it's futile. You go down that road and it's not credible. So we start off with a airbag case, female, five foot tall. She's uh, maybe 120 pounds and she's got her seat ramped all the way up to the front of the front of the car near the dash. When that airbag goes off, goes straight into not, not her chest if she was six foot or six foot two, goes straight into her face. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's a probably more destructive than what happens to her neck and her, and her low back is, is my view. How do, we, um, how do we start assessing those? What are, so, it's all your all for you, and I think I was, I'd like to hear from Dr. Barry and see. see. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right, let, let, me, let me start there. So, um, so I said I was a neuropsychologist, and I have a specialty in brain injuries, and specifically concussions, or you might call them mild traumatic brain injuries. And so the first thing we got to do is figure out what type of brain injury, if any, was sustained in the accident. And so I'll ask a series of questions, and I'll ask the questions in a, in a different order then the person is used to telling the story. So I don't go through it uh, chronologically. I actually ask, what was your first memory after the collision? And um, so I'll get the very first memory there. And then I'll ask the question, what was your last memory before the collision? And in that way, what I'm trying to figure out is two things, whether there was possibly a loss of consciousness or, um, what we call post-traumatic amnesia, if there's a period of time that they cannot recall, and if that's a significant 
period of time, you know, more than a split second. But, you know, sometimes it's just a few seconds. Sometimes, though, uh, what's more credible is, is a whole minute or a couple of minutes uh, where they don't remember what happened. Maybe a person will say, had this sense of coming to. And, and you can figure out that some things uh, transpired right after the collision, and they have no memory of it. And this helps us diagnose a traumatic brain injury because that there's certain criteria that one has to meet in order to diagnose traumatic brain injury. What are and the, so you, one of them is... Yeah, I was just going to say, so what, what are they? <laughs> okay, so we've got loss of consciousness is one, uh, post-traumatic amnesia, which means you might not have lost consciousness. Like maybe someone was next to you and says, oh yeah, you were awake the whole time. You were talking. Um, but you don't remember that period of time. So that would be amnesia of that pocket of time. And then the third criteria is an altered mental state. And that can look like repetitive questioning. It can look um, like people will often describe it as confused or dazed, things like using that kind of language. So that's an altered um, mental state. And then the fourth criteria is a positive sign on neuroimaging, which we often don't see with concussions because the neuroimaging is not sensitive enough or the sensitive neuroimaging is never used. You're talking about a, a T3 uh, a MRI, brain MRI. That's right. That's right. So often it's not used. You know, I, and I'm not a specialist in, in reading those MRIs. I just, you know, so um, I really do re rely on the neurologist or the radiologist to give me those positive findings. That's um, not for me. But, but other positive findings also would be uh, nausea, um, dizziness, vomiting, uh, light sensitivity, headaches, all of the things that I'm sure the chiropractors see a lot with vestibular injuries. So I was going to get to that, and we can we could jump to it now about like, I mean we have we have a an audience of chiropractors who specialize in trauma, and these are people who see people sometimes hours, uh, but usually a day, maybe two days following a motor vehicle accident, and and no doubt they ask you know what happened, and they they get they delve into how they were feeling immediately following the accident, um, what kinds of things should DCs be asking their patients or looking for in their patients' responses that, in your opinion, would justify a referral to a neuropsychologist? Well, sometimes, so it's kind of two parts to that answer. Um, the kinds of questions that, that could uh, suggest, strongly suggest a concussion would be, um, you know, asking if they, what their state of mind was right after the accident and if there was any altered, um, altered mental status, you know, any confusion, feeling days, that would, that's, that's a, a big indication. Also, well, just to, just yeah. to jump in, I, I think a lot of people right after accidents say that they were dazed or um, shaken or in shock. I hear that a lot about people right after an accident. I'm guessing you don't, or maybe you do, but I'm guessing you don't believe that everybody who claims they were dazed or confused, eh, dazed and confused, right after a motor vehicle accident uh, need to be referred to a neuropsychologist. I'm guessing there's a sort of a confluence or a critical mass of, of symptoms that you say, okay, now 
it makes sense to refer them to somebody like you. Um, so, right. so obviously the, the, those concussion symptoms like being dazed, but, but like I said, I, I, I'm sort of trying to ascertain from you maybe a little deeper in terms of, okay, Cairo's asking them how they felt right after an accident, an accident and they say, oh, I was dazed. Mm-hmm. How should they dig a little deeper? What, 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 what kinds of words should they be using and what kinds of answers, if elicited, w- would, would, red flag, uh, this person's not just your run-of-the-mill dazed after an accident. This is somebody who really needs a referral. I I would answer it a little bit differently. I would say that not everybody who sustains a concussion warrants a referral to a neuropsychologist because a good good number of concussions do clear up. If it's depending on the person and depending on the severity of the concussion, um, the symptoms might persist for a few days, a few weeks, maybe a couple months, and then clear up. So, so referring someone to a neuropsychologist right away doesn't always make sense. Rarely makes sense, actually. You want to see that the, that the symptoms are actually going to stick around, and that's when it warrants a referral to neuropsychologist because the neuropsychologist is going to be able to answer the question as to um, whether the symptoms, the fallout from that concussion are severe enough that it's going to disrupt their activities at their job or their relationships or somehow impede their functioning in life. Okay. So, so somebody comes in a day after an accident, they've got, you know, they're, they're talking about being a little dazed. They're talking about maybe some balance issues or maybe some light sensitivity or maybe some tinnitus or uh, those types of things. How long would you say they need to persist before you, the uh, somebody in a, a DC shoes might say, ah, "I think I think we need to have you checked out." I would say um, a couple of months to three months. Actually, they say that they say the literature s- speculates that uh, that a concussion symptoms will clear up within the first three months. Um, that most of them will, and and for the, and and that. The jury's still out on that one. <laughs> but um, I would say that after a few months, if somebody's still coming back for treatment because of the vestibular in um, symptoms, you know, the balance or the dizziness, headaches, nausea, all of that, and they are still having all of those symptoms a few months later, then they might be having other symptoms such as um, feeling like, difficult, challenged when having to multitask, not paying attention as well as they used to. Often, most often people just lump that into a descriptor of my memory is not as good as it, as it used to be. Yeah. It doesn't always mean it's their memory. but And that's what the neuropsychologist teases out. But if you're seeing those other physical symptoms, you want to ask how they are, how their thinking skills are. Are they, are they clear-headed? Are they able to perform their job tasks with the same ease? Are they more easily fatigued? Are they losing energy by two in the afternoon or they, can they make it to the end of the workday like they used to? So what, um, I'm gonna go back a little bit just uh, briefly because you were talking about um, three Tesla MRIs of the brain and, and I'm guessing most, uh, most DCs don't make those recommendations and some do i'm sure but for the for the majority of the time that the the brain mris are called for by neurologists or psychiatrists um is there any urgency i mean is there anything is there any anything that suggests that 
you know, right after an accident, if we've if we're starting to see these signs, that it makes sense for documentation purposes to see what the brain looks like uh, in a in a high uh, you know in a, a t- three high test right yeah high resolution earlier on um, or or is there or if there's damage there's going to be damage at the one month three month six month it doesn't matter I I, I from my understanding I think that can there's no urgency to it. I think the only urgency really is in to see if there's a there's a, a bleed in the brain. So that that would be captured with a CT scan. Right. Um, but I, um, no, I think that there might even be some benefits to waiting a couple of months. But again, I'm not going to speak too much to uh, the imaging because that's that is not my area specialty. Sure, that's sure. not what I rely on. So. Um, okay. In terms of. In terms of. A TBI. I mean, we're. It's a very hot button uh, terminology in terms of a personal injury case. What are you doing when somebody gets referred to you with that, you know, preemptive diagnosis from a, a chiropractor? What, what, what? Did, I mean, what do you do with that patient? Well, I, you know, when I I do a series of tests, I have them in my office for a whole day about seven hours. Um, I have a lengthy clinical interview. I get the whole story. I get all the symptoms. And then I ask a lot of questions about their history and other things going on in their lives because there could be a lot of reasons someone's uh, focus and attention isn't on point at any given you know, time. Like right now with the pandemic, people are, are a lot more distracted because of the stress. Um, so, so it's a long clinical interview and then it's a lot of testing a lot of paper and pencil testing, and we try to capture each cognitive function all by itself, which is easier said than done. (laughs) There's a lot of overlap in some of the tests. So um, in order to really figure out what's going on with this individual, I give a big variety of tests, a wide and extensive battery of tests. And when it's a concussion especially in a person who's high high functioning it's harder to capture it's harder to capture our tests were really developed for more severe brain injuries they were uh, a lot of them uh, developed to capture dementia so when you have somebody who's really not doing well in life it doesn't take a lot to capture it and document it and, and get exactly where they are but when it's more subtle it takes more testing. I, I think that's really important because I, I definitely know, at least from my own anecdotal experiences, that I, I have patients that are very high functioning, and my patients, clients that are very high functioning, that do pretty highly technical jobs, uh, and they will tell me, "I'm a, I, I'm not right. There's something. There's something wrong. I can tell." that I'm not functioning. I mean, people who use their brains every day very attunedly are, are, are might, might be more, you know, I don't want to use the word attuned again, but to their, uh, to their mental status. Um, Absolutely. And that's Absolutely. really interesting because um, I, I do wonder about that. I mean, how, how, can, how can your testing sort of pick up the small changes that might only be evident to the individual? And, and secondarily, how can you, without a baseline from before the accident, determine the delta? I mean, what the, you know, the change mm-hmm. in, their, uh, in their cognitive ability. So 
what what we do is in sprinkled in the battery of tests are tests that capture somebody's baseline as best as possible. Some of the baseline comes from um, the clinical interview. We find out how well educated they are, what they're doing for work, uh, and, and things along those lines. But then there are other tests that are designed specifically specifically to measure how well read they are. So we have tests that look at, at their ability to look at um, irregularly spelled words and how quickly they, if they know the words at sight. And that really measures how well read somebody is. And if somebody's well read and they have a high level of academic achievement or vocational achievement, we can put that together and make some assumptions about their baseline. And then we're measuring tests against that baseline. So you're saying you're saying that someone's ability to sight read pterodactyl uh, might is the type of thing that wouldn't be affected by a motor vehicle accident. So so you can you can use a test like that to determine how they were functioning pre-accident because it's not typically affected by TBIs. Is that is that am I getting that yeah. right? You're getting that right, and you're bringing up a point that I didn't raise, and absolutely accurate. There are there are certain um, cognitive abilities that are are not vulnerable to brain injuries, uh, even even more moderate to severe brain injuries, even in later stages of dementia. They 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 remain the same. My my son's very into dinosaurs right now, and so pterodactyl uh-huh. popped into my that head. That was your example. Odd yeah. word uh, when you read it. Um, I want to jump back to, to, to DCs. Um, uh, I I think it's really in, I think it's really important to them nowadays, particularly the ones who are caring enough to be on a on a, a Zoom call like this. For, for you to really delve into not just not just the signs and, and I think you did a good job of sort of giving them a, a blush of um, what sorts of things that they should be looking for but but maybe you can sort of help guide some people in terms of referrals I mean if, if you're getting certain symptoms uh, or, or certain uh, testimony from your from your patients maybe it's not a perfect referral for a neuropsychologist yet maybe it would be better referred to a neurologist who would then refer to you or some or some some mm-hmm. derivation thereof can you sort of sh- shed some light just more broadly on tbis and and moderate tbis and post concussive uh, syndromes as to what they can be looking for and where the proper referral would be within that world of you know MFT, psychologist, psychiatrist, neurologist, right. neuropsychologist, uh, neuropsychologist. There's there's that whole world of of uh, of of you know people who study and diagnose brain injuries. Um, and from the DC standpoint, where where the referral belongs. Well, I'd say um, where to begin. I would say when when somebody is contending with a lot of chronic pain that's going to really affect their psychological status, their psychological well-being, and it's going to play back and forth. You know, the chronic pain is going to affect the mood, and those two things will affect someone's ability to think clearly, remember things, pay attention, and it can become this dysfunctional loop. So a psychologist is a good person to refer to for chronic pain. So a person who's coming off into the chiropractor because they're in so much pain, they most likely will need some psychological help at that point too. It's, it's, it's a pretty depressing place to be. Um, 
if somebody is complaining, really like like if somebody is very attuned to uh, how well they think because their job pushes them to a th to think clearly and in an organized fashion on a regular basis, and they notice that that has really changed, then uh, a neuropsychologist could help there. A neuropsychological evaluation could help there, especially if they're in litigation, because we want to capture it for, for litigation purposes. Um, in terms of treatment, if they've had a more pronounced brain injury, they might warrant some some cognitive rehabilitation. So um, um, a speech therapist could help with that. They're not, there are not a lot of neuropsychologists who do treatment, actually. There's, there's for a multitude of reasons, but there are not a lot of neuropsychologists who do treatment. Most neuropsychologists who do treatment are really treating as a psychologist. They're, they're, they're treating you know, the emotional well-being of the person with an eye to what's been disrupted on a cognitive level. So would it be fair of me to sort of break uh, brain injuries up into two categories, that the kind that are brought on by an actual trauma and injury to the brain itself and the kind that are brought on by the circumstances surrounding a motor vehicle accident and the other injuries stemming therefrom. So you were, you were sort of talking about chronic pain. Chronic mm -hmm. pain is not a brain injury, but Sorry. the circumstances of having chronic pain lead a lot of people to depression and anxiety and, and PTSD. I mean, those are, these are all things that, happen as a result of the things that happen as a result of motor vehicle accidents. Um, mm -hmm. And that's sort of a genre separate from your TBIs and concussions and traumas to the brain itself that then have manifestations of imbalance, speech problems, those types of things, which can sort of be thought of as a separate, am, am I, is there, uh, this is such a lay of uh, No, you're, you're right. You're right. And, but there's so much, crossover that sometimes it's really hard to tease it apart and I think that that's really the challenge for the neuropsychologist and within the neuropsychology world um, in the personal injury world you can look at the same case through different lenses and say well you know this is obviously due to the due, due to the TBI and someone else will say well this is obviously due to their depression or their chronic pain or and but I think that it's in so many cases it is hard to tease it apart it's so what's the catalyst we look at what the catalyst is what are the, what are they how are they functioning now what are all of the um, contributing factors what's a substantial con contributing factor how poor did they do on the on the, the testing and how consistent is the testing? It, it all plays a part in every case kind of shakes out just a little bit differently. Just, so you know, the weights and balances are all a little different. Well, I was, try I was trying to tee this one up perfectly for you, given this, like, there's these brain injuries and then there are these neurocognitive injuries that stem from circumstances surrounding motor vehicle accidents and the, the union of teasing these two things out is the neuropsychologist is what I was hoping the the the, the, <laughs> well, the right? would have been there. But you but but I I think I think that's sort of what you just said is that for the astute 
doctor of chiropractic who's interested in, in, in treating the whole patient, which, which I know that they are, um, looking at the, the, the effects of accidents on the brain, both physically on the brain as well as the emotional side of accidents and the toll that takes on, the, the, on, on people, um, a lot of times it's difficult to tease that out. Do I send this person to a neurologist? Do I send this person to a psychologist or an MFT? Where does this person go? Do they need medication? I mean, where, where do they go? Um, and from my experience in, in directing people, uh, I think the neuropsychologist can be an incredible tool um, for, for helping place that. Because then you can come back and with all of your testing say, this, these symptoms look like a, a, you know, post-concussive traumatic brain injury. You know, this person's got a problem in their brain that they didn't have before. Okay, great. Let's send them to a neurologist and possibly a psychiatrist. Or this person's situation is causing them to have symptoms similar to PTSD, depression, anxiety, the things that come come uh, with being in an MVA. And, and I think they would benefit from, and, and I've seen reports where you've said, I think this person will benefit from, uh, from psychological treatment, you know, from a psychologist for X number of treatments to work through right. those issues. And sometimes it's D, all of the above, right? <laughs> right. With yeah. the last 60 seconds, uh, final thoughts uh, for, 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 the, for the astute uh, uh, I mean, excuse me, the astute uh, chiropractor looking to, 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 to really capture these things and, and send them in the right direction. I would say this for the chiropractors is for anyone referring to a neuropsychologist, the most important thing is to have a really clear referral question. What are you trying to learn? How do you want to help this person? That real that that piece of information is so critical to the neuropsychologist. For an attorney, sometimes it's just it's a lot more clear. What, why is the attorney so, sending you the referral? Well, because they want to see if the person has injuries that um, warrant a higher settlement. But for the chiropractor, you're really looking, what do you, what, how do you want to help this person? If you can give that piece of information, um, that's really useful. And like, for example, you might say, this person is just never coming to their appointments. They're always forgetting something seems really off. You know, that's very useful. But just that they had a concussion isn't as useful. You know, what do you want to learn? I love the takeaway. Dr. Barry, thank you so much for being with us today and for uh, on behalf of all the docs who've been, who are watching, I, I appreciate it. Um, Dr. Barry can be reached uh, directly if you uh, have a referral for her or have any follow-up questions for her. Um, we can be reached, obviously, Sean Steele at seansteele.com. You can email Sean directly or myself, Alexander Eisner, at seansteele.com. Uh, lots of other resources for docs at uh, seansteele.com. There's a tab at the top for doctors. I recommend everybody go there. This will be live on YouTube and uh, on our on our uh, podcast uh, in the next couple of days. So if anybody that you know wants to see it, feel free to direct them there. Otherwise, Dr. Barry, thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye.